Wow, I've just finished recording an episode that was all about me. So I've just told my story of my breast cancer and what I went through throughout the last three years. That was a very personal, private story I've just told and it was really challenging for me to talk about it to a camera with a microphone. But I hope that people listening will benefit from it. I hope that you will share it with others that are going through similar stories and that they'll benefit from it. And I've also shared the unbelievable things that I've learned from talking to these amazing people since starting When Life Gives You Lemons. And it's made me reflect on how amazing the past seven months have been with the podcast. You are listening to the podcast When Life Gives You Lemons, presented by me, Emma Levy. Having worked with elite athletes for most of my career, it's always intrigued me that a significant number of high-performing individuals have encountered some form of adversity earlier in their lifetime. My fascination into this grew when I had my own brush with adversity when I was diagnosed with breast cancer in May 2020, in the midst of the global pandemic at the age of only 36. During this period, I questioned whether it was my positive mindset or maybe something deeper, which enabled me to bounce back and to train and compete for a triathlon just one month following completion of all active cancer treatment. The goal of this podcast is to explore this concept further by meeting a variety of high-performing individuals who have experienced adversity, but who have come back stronger. Hello, today's episode is a little bit different because I have no guest. And I wasn't sure if it was a little bit self-indulgent to sit here and to talk about myself for an episode. But recently, a few guests have asked me a bit more about my story. And they've suggested I do an episode on here about my story. So today, I'm going to talk about my story, about who I am, what's happened over the past few years. I'm then going to talk about what I've learned since starting the podcast, When Life Gives You Lemons, five months ago. And then we're going to end with me answering a few questions from previous guests. So I'm a physiotherapist by trade. I've been a physiotherapist for nearly 20 years. I've worked with elite sports people, so with Team GB and with the the British Olympic athletes for, for nearly 10 years. And I love my job. And then May 2020, life threw me a little bit of a curveball when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. When you've had cancer, you become very passionate about early detection because basically early detection saves lives. So my journey to diagnosis is actually very important regarding breast cancer awareness because it didn't play out in the way you might think it played out. And I didn't have a palpable lump in my breast, but I had some nipple discharge but this part of the story is, is the first time where exercise saved my life. And what you're going to hear throughout the story is that exercise has been very pivotal in my recovery. But at this point, exercise was actually life-saving because I only saw the nipple discharge in my sports bra after running. So I'd come back from a run and I'd have a tiny, tiny, weeny little bit of, of discharge in my sports bra. And again, I'd just finished breastfeeding um, about a year ago. So I had a one-year-old son. And so I thought, my initial thoughts were, is this related to breastfeeding? It's a bit strange. You know, I'd stopped breastfeeding maybe nine months prior to that. And then I thought, oh, maybe I'm pregnant. You know, I was thinking all sorts. And then I started to think a little bit towards the breast cancer side, because actually six months previously, my mum had taken me to the breast clinic for... A, um, for an assessment 
And that's because my first cousin had been diagnosed with breast cancer the year before, and she was less than 40 years old. Her mum had had breast cancer, and our great-grandmother had had breast cancer. So six months previously, we'd been to the breast clinic, I'd had a full assessment, I'd had a mammogram, had ultrasounds, and it, it was all fine. So when this happened, because I was under the breast clinic, after thinking hormones, breastfeeding, pregnant, I then did phone the breast clinic, thankfully, and they told me to come in and see them. I went to the breast clinic and I had a full clinical assessment, a mammogram and an ultrasound and it was all normal. So I was sent home um, told there was probably something to do with the, the duct, so something to do with breastfeeding. Um, and if it didn't get better to come back in four to six weeks. Four to six weeks came by, it was still the same. It was no worse, it was tiny, tiny, tiny amounts of discharge. Um, and my husband said, I think you should go back. And I said, absolutely not. At this point, we were in the midst of a global pandemic. And frankly, the thought of going to a hospital was quite terrifying. Luckily, on this occasion, my husband won the argument. He doesn't always win. And I did go back. And they did an MRI scan. And then I got a phone call that they had seen something on the MRI scan. So... Um, they wanted me to come back for an ultrasound. Now, I don't know if they didn't use the word biopsy or if I maybe didn't hear the word biopsy, but I did not know I was going for a biopsy. So at this point, I still did not think anything was going to be cancer. And I've told this story before on the podcast. I cycled to that appointment and the radiographers were astounded um, that I was going to cycle home following the biopsy. And that's because I didn't know I was going to have one. Um, but let me tell you, cycling home with three puncture wounds in your chest was not fun. So that's not one of the highlights of my uh, memory bank. Um, so I had the biopsy and I then uh, saw the consultant and that was the dreaded appointment where I got given the news that no one wants to be given. And lots of people have different memories of this appointment where you're told that it is cancer. My main memories was her saying this is fully treatable and fully curable. So I, I latched onto that. And then my other memory was um, the color draining from my husband's face. And my primary concern became, is he going to faint? <laughs> because that was a fairly high likelihood. Luckily, he, he didn't faint. It's worth saying at this point, actually, that some of my thoughts of this, my thoughts and my memories of this time period are a little bit jumbled in my head. And I remember my best friend, who's a psychologist, explaining this to me and explaining. She used a really good analogy and said it's a bit when you've been through trauma, it's a bit like when you throw all of your clothes out of the cupboard and all of your clothes are all over the floor. So all of your, your memories and your brain are all scattered up. And the only way to make sense of it again is to talk about it with therapists, friends, to write about it through things such as journaling. And then you can make sense of those memories again. And over the years, I have done bits of that. And my timelines are much better. But there are still some things that are a little bit scattered. So I do apologize if things maybe don't make sense time-wise. Um, but anyway, back to the story. The, so I get diagnosed with breast cancer. That night, as you can imagine, um, me and my husband just couldn't sleep at all. And it was, it's quite a funny story, which is why I'm telling it. 
Um, we're lying in bed middle of the night can't sleep and you know we think right let's just put the tv on let's put something on that normally makes us laugh so we switched on curb your enthusiasm with larry david and within about a minute we realized that it was the episode where larry is diagnosed with cancer so (laughs) we obviously we look at each other and we laugh we turn it off that was it um anyway so being diagnosed we're in the midst of global pandemic Um, And I start 12 weeks of chemo. So I had uh, chemotherapy once a week for 12 weeks. I wore the cold cap to preserve my hair. And the cold cap is basically like a frozen bucket, tight bucket that you put on your head, um, which helps preserve the hair follicles and it does help you keep your hair if you're lucky. And again, because we were in the midst of COVID, I wasn't allowed any friends or any family or anyone with me in those chemo sessions. So actually, that was when I discovered podcasts. So my dad had bought me some earbuds and I remember arriving, I would literally arrive at chemo, I'd put my earbuds in, I'd switch on a podcast and I would just listen to podcasts like for the whole day really. Um, and what I find interesting reflecting on now is that prior to cancer, I don't think I'd ever listened to a, an episode of a podcast. Um, but during that period, I became a massive fan. I think they helped me for my, they helped my self-development. They educated me. They entertained me. And from then on, I love podcasts. Um, so anyway, I had um, the chemo and... That was, I think it was through the summer, so it was like June, July, August. And in that August, I was due to be competing in the London Triathlon. Now, the London Triathlon at this point had been cancelled anyway due to COVID. But it was sat in that chemo chair that I decided that the following August, I was going to compete in the London Triathlon. And just by having that goal, that really, really helped with my recovery because I was able to focus on something a little bit in the future. Um, I exercised a lot, well not a lot, but I exercised throughout treatment and I found that super positive for me. And again, that was because it was the one thing that I was kind of able to take control of. And I didn't exercise crazy. I knew, I was lucky that I knew the routine of my week. So I knew how I would feel on each day. So I could plan to do like an easy Um, weight workout one day and then a swim another day and then on the day before my next chemo I would always go for a run Um, and that for me was it was just pivotal in my emotional and my physical recovery. Um, I then after three months chemo I think I had to get a bit stronger before having surgery and I had a double mastectomy with reconstruction. Um, Again that was six days inpatient stay alone And I still find that one of the more challenging memories to think about. After my surgery, as a diligent student, because obviously as a physiotherapist, I was very, very committed to my rehab. So I did my physio exercises um, very frequently. And I walked a lot. Um, And walking was quite pivotal in my recovery as well. And then... After I'd recovered from surgery, I then needed three weeks of radiotherapy, and that was every day for three weeks. Um, But to be honest, by the time I'd been through everything else, that that wasn't a problem, and I kind of just cracked on with the radiotherapy um, and just got on with it. And then um, 
every three weeks for the rest of the year, I would have an antibody injection into my leg. And here's another funny story about exercise. Um, so you can have this drug as an infusion, but by this point I'd had my port where they put your drugs, I'd had it removed. So I had this, this injection, but this isn't kind of like your normal injection. This is a 10 minute long injection into your leg and I, into your thigh. And I can't remember if it goes into the muscle or the skin, but anyway, after one of my earlier injections, I think, well, I must've been feeling a bit stronger. I can't really remember, but I thought I, I went for a run basically after this injection <laughs> and within about 10 minutes, I literally could not wait bear. Like I was in agony in my thigh. I just couldn't walk. So my husband had to come and pick me up and I phoned the chemo ward and they were like, why did you go for a run? And I was like, well, no one told me not to. And they said, well, we don't normally have to tell our patients not to run on the day of treatment. But hey, I was okay. It turned into a little bit of a drama because it hurt for a long time and they thought I had a clot and all sorts, but it, it was nothing and it got better. Um, but it was just me and my exercise getting me into trouble again. So I then finished treatment and the following month I did take part in the London Triathlon in August. And as you can imagine, that was monumental, a monumental moment in my recovery. Um, as a physiotherapist, I've always, always been passionate about the power of movement and crossing that finish line, that power of exercise and the power of movement meant more to me than ever before. So I mentioned that I walked a lot with friends um, throughout my recovery. I think COVID as well, everyone was walking at that point. Do you remember you couldn't just go for a drink, you'd go, you'd go for a walk. And it was on one of these walks with, with my friend Emma um, where I mentioned that I had an idea for a podcast. And at that point, I felt very much, um, I felt very nervous about the idea because I thought, I'm a physiotherapist. What gives me the right to sit in a studio with a microphone and a camera and record a podcast? But actually, Emma really gave me the confidence that I needed where she said, well, you know, why not? You've got a great idea. Just just do it. And I think by having, you know, she had my back. She gave me the confidence to to embark on this project. And it's it's been it's been such a positive um such a positive journey for me. And then in February 2023, When Life Gives You Lemons was launched. So I've learned so much between now and February when the podcast was launched. In the past seven months, I have had the honor of chatting with some unbelievable people from just all backgrounds. These are spectacular people who have achieved amazing things despite hardships they've been through and I've learned so much about myself by talking to them so I thought that I could share some of those highlights with you today. My first guest was the unbelievable David Smith, the Paralympic gold medalist who, who unfortunately got a spinal tumour and that led to him being paralysed and one of the things he said was be where your feet are. So enjoy the now and don't always focus on the goal ahead. And I've already talked about goals and I've always been very goal driven and I've, I've always jumped from one goal to the next. So what he said really resonated with me um, because it made me think, do I enjoy the process enough? Do I enjoy the in-between? 
And I'm going to quote David because what I loved it when he said, our lives start on an inhale and they end on an exhale. But that's not to say that all the breaths in between aren't important. So I've really taken that to heart. And I try and make sure now that everything I do in between, I take enjoyment out of. Through my conversation with David as well, we also talked about our values. And that was because he talked about the fact that his psychologist had advised him not to refer to himself as I'm David the athlete. And that was because when he got injured and he could no longer do his sport, that really affected his mental health. So he had to think about what were his values. So it got me thinking, what is my why? What are my values? And like uh, Nietzsche, the great philosopher said, he who has a why can bear with almost any how. And regarding my values, I've reflected on the fact I'm not just a mother, a wife, a friend, a physio, a podcaster, but what do I enjoy? Well, I enjoy stimulating my mind through discussion, through conversation. I enjoy challenging my body through exercise and through physical challenges. I love speaking to fascinating people. I love adventure. I love traveling. I love exploring. And really now I I make sure that I make it count. And I really do live every day like it's my last. If I'm doing something and that's not filling my vessel, then I think about the reasons for why I'm doing that right then and there. In the past seven months, we've talked a lot about mindset. And this was one of my primary questions that I wanted to ask with this podcast. Why is it that some individuals are so driven to succeed despite the odds and others are quite happy to just settle with second best? A couple of weeks ago in my discussion with Marcus Smith, we talked about mindset and he had really interesting thoughts on what comes first, motivation or discipline. And I feel quite strongly about the fact that I think it's hard to be disciplined without motivation, but then you need something to make you motivated. And this takes us to, you know, what makes someone resilient? And Angela Duckworth's book, um, Grit, um, writes all about resilience and grit. And I think really the, the, the main conclusion is that it is a combination of nature and nurture. And then there's a question of, can we switch our mindsets? And I think absolutely yes. And me and Carly Musa discussed this on an earlier episode. And we discussed our, one of our favorite authors, Edith Egar, when she says, we should be thinking, not why me, but what now? And let's not become victims. Let's not have that victim mindset. And I often wonder, why was I able to adapt my mindset when I was going through my cancer diagnosis? And I ask all my guests if they think that they're resilient. And so if I ask myself the same question, am I resilient? I think absolutely yes. But why am I resilient? I was fairly fortunate growing up. I had most material things that I could have wanted. I was very loved with a supportive family. And I had two brothers. And actually, when I was really thinking about this, I was thinking my two brothers, they used to 
tease me for wearing bras. They used to go into my room and steal my bras and laugh at my bra size. They used to make fun of me having periods. And some aspects of that growing up maybe wasn't that easy. And maybe it's aspects like that that you haven't even realized do make us more resilient people. And again, to quote the great philosopher Nietzsche again, and more recently clearly Kelly Clarkson, I do believe that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And I really feel that every difficulty that I've been through throughout the past few years has made me a stronger, more resilient person. In my chat with Daniel G in season one, he said how hard choices are not easy, but longer term they work out better. And his advice was that he does something difficult first thing in the morning. So he'll, you know, go for a hard exercise or an ice cold shower. And then everything after that feels a little bit, a little bit easier. But if we keep doing mundane things without any challenges, where is the fun in that? Um, and with Vicky Anstey, the, the adventurer, we talked about conquering fears. And she said that, a great quote I think that fear is opportunity in disguise and so often we don't do things because we are scared but the opportunities that we give ourselves by doing these scary things can create unbelievable experiences so based on that I've learned to say yes to so many more things and Eddie Clarkson the leukemia survivor said the same thing so he now says yes to a lot more things but saying yes does take confidence so saying yes to starting this podcast I had and I still do have all the time massive imposter syndrome but then I remember what I've been through and I just remember say yes just do it but also on the other hand the importance of learning when to say no because again, before my cancer, I wasn't very good at saying no. And I would say yes to everything and I, I would you know, reach burnout. So now I'm much better at knowing what to say no to. I've learned about true resilience. And for me, it was a real highlight and a humbling experience to interview Ruth Posner, the Holocaust survivor. All of Ruth's immediate family perished at the hands of the Nazis during the Holocaust. And then she came to England, age 16, totally alone, speaking no English, knowing no one in the country. But through sheer strength and resilience, she managed to forge a life here. And this, for me, is true resilience. And I've reflected on that chat subsequent to it and thought, what can we learn from Ruth and others like her? I've spoken to top athletes, the best in their fields, gold medal Olympic and Paralympic champions. And I've had a true insight into the true champion mindset. And a memory that stands out was with Matty Lee, the diver who won a gold Olympic medal with Tom Daly at the Tokyo 2020 games. And a few things from that chat really stood out to me about him being a true champion. When he said, he said before the competition, he saw it in the stars. He said, this is our story, this is our time. He even had dreams of himself standing on the top of the podium. So he, he kind of foresaw the future, he knew what was gonna happen. He wasn't nervous and he just knew he had to get the job done. Similarly with Eve Muirhead, the curling winter Olympic gold medal champion, she came back from the depths of despair and failure to win her Olympic gold medal 
and that was through sheer strength of mind, determination and resilience. Something that has come up time and time again in these chats is the relationship between our physical and our emotional health. And Gabor Mate, the author, um, talks about there being no mind without body and no body without mind. And I've always felt that interconnection as a physiotherapist and I've always tried to educate my patients and the sports people I work with on that. But it's become even more um, resonant to me after speaking to all of these high-performing people. Throughout my chat with Louisa Klein, I learned about inherited trauma. I hadn't even ever heard of that before and how our lived experiences can change the genetic expression in our offspring. And that was, you know, something new to learn, which I loved. Something I found truly fascinating is how many of my guests have felt that their life has been enhanced following their traumatic incidents. So Claire Danson and Eddie Clarkson, they both talked about this. Carly Musa talked about having a shift in perspective following her trauma and that she started to love life and to love herself and that she now gets joy from the littlest things. And she said that she feels so damn lucky to be alive. And we talked as well about practicing gratitude and actually writing down what we're grateful for. And that can really enable self-reflection. I'm not great on formal gratitude and I, I don't formally write things down, but I do try and think about it. And I think we should all have an awareness every day of, what, of what's great about life. From these chats, I've learned to find strength in our vulnerabilities. I really have discovered myself and as I sit here today and talk so openly about something that's quite private it does make me feel very vulnerable. Um, I suppose it's probably quite therapeutic and when this session is over I'll feel quite positive about it and I think it is a positive thing but it's it's been a difficult process for me and I'm definitely at the beginning at the start of that journey. Dr Philippa Kay and Erin Kennedy from last week talked about survivorship. So something that's often glossed over and that cancer changes us and we need to embrace our new normal because really we will never be the same again, physically and emotionally. And following cancer, it is a loss and we do have to go through a grieving process. And I think people don't like to talk about that part as much. And we need to feel and we need to address our emotions in order to process them. And until we've processed all of those emotions, I think it's very difficult to move forward in our recovery. We have talked about the power of community and the support that our communities give us. So Katie Taylor, the founder of the Latte Lounge, talked about that because by setting up the latte lounge she was trying to create a community for those struggling with the menopause and she was trying to create a community for those that didn't necessarily have one on their doorstep and I find that the importance of cancer communities for me have been of utmost importance and it kind of is the club that you don't want to be part of but it's the most supportive club in the world. So before this session, I emailed all of my previous guests and I asked them if they could ask me one question, what would it be? So I gave them the opportunity to get their own back basically. So I'm gonna run through some of those questions now. 
So Daniel G asked me, what gives me the most joy and why? And I think I've answered this a little bit earlier on. I love trying new things. I love stepping out of my comfort zone. I love to challenge myself. I love adventures. I love traveling. I love being with my family and my friends. But I also do enjoy being alone and trying to remember and rekindle some of the independence that I had as a younger person can actually be very positive for me. So I try and find a balance there. Louisa Klein asked, if you could have done anything differently over the past few years of your diagnosis and treatment, what would that have been? To be honest, I am proud of the way that I have dealt with things mindset wise. I'm a super positive person. I always have been. I've always had a can-do attitude. I never felt like I was the victim. I did ask why a lot at the beginning. I wanted a, a reason. I asked if was it because I drank too much? Was it because I ate this I ate too much meat? You know, I, I asked all these stupid questions. I did want a why. But then I was quite quick to reframe it to what now? So how could I use my experience to help other people and to better myself? If there was one thing I could do differently though, because I do, I'm quite a politician like that and I, I like to avoid um, difficult questions, um, but I'm not going to avoid this question. If I could do something differently, I still think about cancer every day and possibly even multiple times in that day. Potentially that's because of the world that I immerse myself in. So this podcast, for instance, you know, I'm talking to people about my experience at least once a week. I set up the Big C Running Club, so a running club for people who have been through cancer, so a community of like-minded people. So again, I'm immersing myself in the cancer world. I'm involved with charities. Um, so, you know, I see why cancer is on my mind quite a lot, but I would like to reduce um, my fear of the risk of recurrence. And I am hoping that that will come with time, and I've been reassured by people that have been through it that it does come with time so I'm sure I will get more confident in that in the months and the years to come. Katie Taylor from the Latte Lounge asked me do you feel that being surrounded by a supportive family and community has helped your recovery? Without doubt yes. Um, an example of that was when I was going through chemo and surgery um, all of the, the school mums made a meal rotor. So every night we were being delivered dinner for me and my family. And that, that was so, so heartwarming from the very beginning that people were going out of their way to help us and to take away that stress. And, you know, you never want to say yes to help. But when people give it to you without asking, it, it's so welcomed with open arms. Erin Kennedy from just from the episode last week asked me, what is the best piece of advice you were given when you were dealing with the challenges facing you? And actually, that's a similar question to what I always ask my guests, which I was going to ask myself at the end of this. If I could go back in time when I was at my most difficult stage, what would I tell myself? So the things that I would tell myself was accept help, take if someone offers 
help and assistance, take it. Don't be shy. If anyone's going through chemotherapy, get your eyebrows microbladed. Um, I had chemo during COVID, like I said, so I couldn't get them microbladed. And let me tell you, when you lose your eyebrows, it does look a little bit strange. Um, so I would have liked to have been able to do that. Um, rest when you can. So if you're going through something difficult and traumatic, take those opportunities to rest. Accept the drugs. Please accept the drugs. Don't be a martyr. If there's something that can make you feel better, take it because it's all there for a reason. And I'm going to finish this episode with something that has come up in so many of these chats over the past seven months, and that is the importance of smiling and laughing. And that can be hard when you're feeling sad and anxious. But the great Viktor Frankl writes how in the concentration camps, humor was another of the soul's weapons in the fight for self-preservation. And humor and laughing and smiling is so simple. And we do take it for granted, I think. And I think we should all try and do it a little bit more. So thank you for listening to me ramble on. I've always said with this podcast, if I can help just one person, then it is all worth it. I really hope I'm reaching people please help me to do that. And if you enjoy listening, please do share, rate and review. And thank you.